Hello, humans, and welcome to Sinister Soup, the show where we discuss genre fiction through the lens of movies, television, books, and ridiculous conversations. This week, we will be talking about the book series, the Alex Virus series. But before we jump into that, we always have a few starter segments. As always, I am one of your co-hosts, Travis Vermolem. And I am Clay Vermolem. Also, as always. (laughs) And, well, we'll just jump right in. I mean, why wait when that's what you came here for? Yeah. So, we usually bring some culture in the the first parts of the episodes, and we're going to keep doing that. So, Clay, you got some culture this week? Yeah, I got some culture. I'm going to bring City Stone Publishing, which is the publishing house that picked up my novella Crevasse. Um, And I'm not just bringing them, obviously, because they picked up my thing, but because they're an awesome, awesome pair of people. Two publishing experts with years of experience, and they've just founded their own publishing house. So Caroline Vincent and Miles Edgerton. Um, Miles is a thriller writer. Carolyn is a publisher and writer who writes in Writers Forum, among has her own column in Writers Forum, among many other publishing background accolades you can look both of them up and you can look up city stone publishing it's a hybrid publisher that's as opposed to many hybrid publishers where the author helps pay the upfront cost and they help with the formatting and distributing of the book and stuff usually a hybrid publisher will either like kind of like give the writer all their rights and just help them get their book ready for market basically mm-hmm. um or they'll if they put their stamp on the book they'll want some kind of control um city stone is unique because it doesn't do that it uh gets your book ready for market and then it offers you the option um to put their stamp on your book um, in which case you have to like query them and submit to them and be accepted, even though you get their publishing stamp uh, to kind of help your book out because it'll be an officially published book. You still they're still very willing to work with you on keeping your rights and everything. I thought that was just really awesome. Uh, and they've been great to work with. Carolyn is super friendly. I've met with her on Zoom a few times and Miles' uh, writing is really awesome. So I just really encourage people to go check out City Stone, especially if you are a writer looking to get into publishing, you should send a query their way. That's fantastic. Um, and I mean, both an amazing company, uh, publishing, and also shameless plug, go read your book when, when <laughs> you publish it. <laughs> yeah, I'm not, plug- I'm not actually plugging that quite yet because I don't have a release date yet, but I am supposed to have that in about a week. Advanced shameless plug. But also, City Stone Publishing sounds amazing. We always appreciate when uh, things are done a little differently to make- put the author forward. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a- another TikTok. Yes, you would. I get most of my culture from TikTok perusing this one though is less goofy i would say i actually think uh this is really i mean i i appreciate all the goofy ones that i've brought but i think this is a really cool art project that this guy's doing um his tiktok handle is at jdisjustin j-d-i-s and then justin all smaller small case if you're looking it up and he is a woodworker he's been 
making a map of the United States, uh, and he carves each state out of their state tree wood. And it, cool. Yeah, I just think it's cool. And he's putting it together on like a magnetic board. He just did Washington, actually. Do you know what your state tree is? I would guess either the Douglas fir or a cedar. It is not either of those, actually. Let me, I gotta look real quick what it was. Because I remember I also kind of thought it might be one of those, but it is the Western Hemlock. Oh, okay. Interesting. Interestingly yeah, I, I would not have guessed that. And that's the other cool thing is he kind of like, as he's, so in his videos, there's like a voiceover of him giving the history of the state tree while he like shows you how he carves the state out and kind of how the woodworking project goes. So I learned that Washington state was actually given its state tree by Oregon because Oregon was all mad that you didn't have one yet. <laughs> oh. So they just said your state tree is the Western hemlock. And then Washington said, we don't like that you did that. We're going to change it. But then like they, they tried a different tree, but then that only lasted for five years before they were all like, okay, we'll just go back to the Western Hemlock. And yeah, (laughs) (laughs) interesting story. And Jay Dis Dustin gives you these stories of the state trees. He hasn't done Montana yet. I think he just did Arizona while he shows you how he carves them out. Hmm. Cool. Yeah. Check him out. All right. That sounds pretty interesting. Who are these people that are like in a room debating the state tree? Yeah, I don't know. I'm very curious <laughs> like how that conversation went. Like, why didn't it work for five years? Like, who was there public outrage? <laughs> like, where did the Western Hemlock go? I, I'm a big Western Hemlock fan. I need you to bring back the Western Hemlock. Yeah, is there like a Twitter page? The equivalent of a, of that time period, obviously. There was like Twitter a page. yeah public notice. Yeah, criers <laughs> on the street. You could you could go write a um, strongly worded sentence on the public notice board. Yeah, the box was just overflowing. They're like, all right, we need to bring people, back the Western. People hemlock. don't like the the Douglas fir. We got to bring back the Western <laughs> hemlock. Apparently, it's the Douglas possible. fir is not as popular as we thought it was. Yeah, I don't know. You know, before the internet, how did these things work? It's it's interesting. Although even now on the internet, how many people would actually stream to Twitter and be like, "We need the we need the Western Hemlock back." Like, <laughs> there's probably a community of like hash, people. You know, hashtag, there's a there's a community for everybody. Hashtag bring back the Hemlock. Um, yeah. <laughs> hashtag Western Hemlock for life, dude. Hashtag seamless transition what's our next thing (laughs) hashtag seamless transition we're moving on to the meat of the podcast which is where we discuss our book show movie today it is a book series known as the alex virus series um, by benedict jacka now for those of you who may not have read this yet it is a series about a mage who lives in london Um, Because, you know, it's an urban fantasy written by an English person, so it takes place in London. Indeed. He owns a magic shop where he sells magical knickknacks and trinkets and sometimes really powerful magical items. Of course, only real mages are going to know what those things are. 
Um, he kind of like is living a low key life in the beginning of the series, but as it progresses, he gets continuously pulled in to the mage world and the mage world is kind of run by this council of magi. Um, there's light mages and dark mages as they're known light mages, you know, have a bunch of rules and are kind of like trying not to murder innocent people with magic all the time. Dark mages are more seeking power by whatever means necessary. Uh, meaning they don't have too many qualms about hurting non-magical folk or magical creatures. Although I guess the light mages also are pretty willing to hurt magical creatures if it serves their end. Yeah. Magical creatures kind of end up being second-class citizens, is what I'm saying there. But the uh, basic premise is, yeah, Alex Virus is kind of just trying to live his life. He's got a friend who he's kind of taken under his wing uh, named Luna. And she's sort of his apprentice early on and then becomes officially his apprentice. Um, and Luna is what's called an adept which is a person who can do magic, but like only one specific sort of magic, whereas a mage can do all kinds of different magic, even though most mages specialize. And that's the last thing I'll summarize. Um, Alex Virus is a diviner, so he can see the future. He doesn't have any like combat magic ability, really, but he can see what's going to happen ahead of time. So that's kind of how he uses his ability to see the future the various possible possible futures and then he just uses his wit and cleverness and ability to run pretty fast to get out of trouble so that's pretty much alex Varus. it's a fun urban fantasy i've so been i've been reading these books on campus a little and every time a student asks me oh what are you reading i'm like have you seen that's so raven and they're like yes and i'm like it's like that's so raven but Raven kills people. <laughs> <laughs> nice. That's my my short summary. <laughs> That's pretty funny. I I haven't watched enough That's So Raven to really understand that reference. Maybe Benedict Jacka is a big That's So Raven fan. I doubt it. <laughs> They're really nothing alike, but the future telling thing. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Right on. So, anyway, yeah, that's the that's the series we're reviewing today. Um, so that'll get us into our segment of forced entrollment for those of you who might be tuning in for the first time or haven't tuned in for a while. A quick reminder of how it works. We're going to roll two D20s and the higher roll defends will be defending the Alex Ferris series, the lower role will be attacking it, regardless of how we actually feel about the works. Before we roll our dice, though, we're going to do a trivia question. It, I'm going to ask it today because Travis asked it last week. If yeah. Travis gets the trivia question right, <laughs> he will get to roll with advantage, meaning he gets to roll twice and take whatever dice roll he wants. He won't let us know what they actually said, just he'll say higher or lower than my roll. And then he can kind of choose if he wants to attack or defend. Unless he happens to just roll lower twice or higher twice, but we won't know that. So we're going to get to it now. Travis. Yo. In book three of the Alex Vere series, Cursed, the one yeah. with the monkey paw. Yes, yes. Um, just those of you who don't know what a monkey paw is, it is a magical artifact that looks like a monkey's paw that grants wishes Usually it has got the soul of a jinn or a demon or whatever you want to call that sort of creature. 
locked within it, um, and it usually has malicious intent, just like in Cursed, hence the title of the book. When Martin gets the monkey's paw, mm-hmm. he asks Alex how many wishes he's able to make with the monkey's paw. Mm-hmm. What does Alex say? Alex says that he's able to make as many wishes as he wants, but he's never seen someone make more than four, I think. Final answer? Yeah. Incorrect. Oh. He can make five wishes. Oh, I was one off? Mm-hmm. I was right, though, on, on what he tells him. Right. No, he's, he says that the last guy who gave it to him told him that you could make five, because oh. every time you make a monkey's paw wish, one finger goes down. Mm. And there's five fingers on the monkey paw. I guess I forgot that. I thought you just couldn't make more because they just got progressively worse, which I think is also true. But I he does say that he the guy disappeared after making four. Mm, okay. He had made four, came to Alex. Alex told him basically like, I don't want that monkey paw. Get that thing away from me. <laughs> and the guy was like insane. Um, Mm -hmm. trying to make his fifth wish and get out of everything. And then Alex never saw him again. And the monkey paw just appeared in his store. All right. Well. Yeah. Let's roll. You got advantage. All right. (laughs) All right. I think even if you wanted to be lower, you might not be able to. I rolled a five. Mm-hmm. I'm higher. Yeah. <laughs> Both times. Figured. <laughs> I rolled bad though. I rolled a six. Yeah. I rolled a six and an eight. Oh yeah. Well, I rolled reference. a five. Yeah. So all right. We don't always tell you guys, but yeah, I'm good with with you knowing today. So, <laughs> are you gonna start the timer? Yep. You start us off. All right, Alex Virus. I picked up these books sort of hesitantly at first. Urban fantasy isn't always my cup of tea. By always, I mean it. It actually usually isn't. Although, <laughs> since getting into the Alex Fierce books, I've given a few more urban fantasy books a try. It's still not my cup of tea. But I do find myself really liking the Alex Fierce books. Um, there's something lighthearted about them, despite like how dark and serious the content matter can be. But it's like uh, the flippant style in which Benedict Jacka writes. It's it's sort of that quintessential like quirky and humor, like uh, tongue-in-cheek British writer style that's sort of uh, similar to Neil Gaiman or. Douglas Adams, you know, all these great writers of the mm. British Isles that have done the done the speculative fiction genres so well throughout the history of literature. Um, but I really think that Benedict Jacka does a great job at creating like a lighthearted environment, a lighthearted narrative that navigates these really dark waters. And you find yourself uh, as you're reading these books, you sort of find yourself, you're, you, they always start off like having a good time and kind of taking it easy. And then suddenly you're in the midst of like something really dark and really terrible. And you are always on the side of Alex. Like he's such a redeemable character. I think that Luna is a great character. And you just always have something to root for there, which is really nice. Sometimes in the, fantasy books 
with especially with like the grim dark movement getting so popular it can be kind of hard to find like um sometimes just main characters that you can root for all the way through like even in really good books like i just read jade city for example that's sort of a good example Mm -hmm. um but where the characters are they're you can understand all their motives but they're not necessarily good people all the time Mm -hmm. you know i think benedict jacka does a really good job at creating that like it's like an easy reader narrative is what i what i've been calling it you know yeah um the books are really easy to read the language is simple um the plots aren't too like overly convoluted it's like perfect books for in between big series or if you just want something to like have have a good time reading i'm not using that as a defense like we would for a really bad movie where that's like it's only redeeming quality (laughs) that it's like easy yeah Mm -hmm. i think that this is both easy and actually really well put together narratives really well put together stories um they always come full circle in a really nice way benedict jack has a great way of like tying the beginning of his plot to the end of his plot and i haven't finished the series but from what i've heard about it he does that really well with the series as a whole mm. like everything that happens to alex virus at any point in these stories is bound to come back and matter later on and i think that's really important too mm. i think <clears throat> that might be my primary criticism of it is and both that and the some of the character work is that i mean they do have the feeling of like a a dime store like cowboy novel sometimes of i think the first four books which are the ones that i've finished with the exception of maybe the fourth one a little more i picked up the first three and as soon as i made like five chapters i was like okay i pretty much guess every beat that Alex Ferris is going to go through in these books, um, especially the first one. I definitely remember, like, predicting the the villain turn, which was a little, supposed to be, I think, surprising, but I predicted it very early, as soon as they, like, entered the, the tomb place. I was like, oh, Alex is going to, as soon as they, like, met the ghost guy in the in the tombs i was like "Mm, yep this is gonna happen exactly like this and it did and i think like jaka i won't i can't like criticize that you're right that he does write very entertainingly but i just find them to be pretty predictable and maybe that's because i've read more urban fantasy i think um i think uh the endings are quite easy to see coming my other big problem with them is some of the relationships don't really work for me in the sense that they confuse me uh especially him and luna and i've been told like that's the point but it was written in kind of a cringy way of i could never tell what luna's age was even though he tells you i could never tell if luna was like way younger than alex virus and he had like this crush on basically a teenage student even though i know she's not but the way she's written sometimes i'm like how old are you and is this weird and why am i asking those questions and then um at one point like they kind of the romantic possibility that they have like sizzles out and he she becomes his full apprentice and it goes back to like a student teacher there's always this that there's supposed to be that undertone of like this could have been romantic 
and it just feels weird to me and i think that happens in some of his relationships where i'm not really sure what they are like alex is equal parts super mature but at the same time sometimes has these moments of like young adult where he's like my age and i'm like oh so you're like supposed to be superior to these people but you're not that old and i'm just only seeing that in this scene not as like an overarching thing so i think benedict kind of struggles with that figuring out some of the relationships in his books and i think they're pretty predictable i would i can't like rag on them like they're terrible but i just don't know if they're you know the highest quality urban fantasy i've read i don't know if i'll continue the series i guess is what i'm saying from that particular critique of them i mean i think that he actually writes luna really well i think it would be easy to write luna as if she'd had like a normal life but she's not a normal like young 20s early 20s year old woman i mean you know people who have strict isolated type situations and they just grow up with different like they're going to have different um, social cues and stuff, you know? And mm-hmm. I think that's where Luna, I think that's what you're picking up on with Luna, but that does kind of tend to make people a little less mature when they don't get out into the the world, you know? It mm-hmm. definitely changes the way people look at things and the way people act around other people. And Luna, I think, acts the way she acts because she has lived uh, such a sheltered, solitary life because she has to. Um, for those of you who haven't read the books... Luna has a curse that casts bad luck on any who come too close to her, basically. So she pretty much has no friends and she has no family. Her family is dead. And that, yeah, yeah. And that I would understand. I really would. And I think, like, I see what you're saying. But my problem isn't necessarily with how Luna's written. It's with how her interactions with, it's how Alex's interactions with her are written. It's how Alex acts. Because Alex is a bit older and not as, like, socially isolated. He has trauma, that's true. But he kind of knows how to actually interact with people better. And sometimes I just don't think their their interactions are written very well. To the point where I, I can't tell how old Alex is. I can't tell how old Luna is. And it's, like, borderline weird, their relationship, like, kind of in a way that makes me uncomfortable sometimes in the first book especially um so it's not necessarily luna it's it's alex that i think when he interacts with characters like luna is the only time his character isn't incredibly well written or realized and that kind of like pulls me out of the narrative but that doesn't matter because it's not beer anymore. <laughs> it's not beer anymore. Game of the week. Game of the week. I almost said beer of the week. Game of the week. All right. Game of the week. This week, we are talking about Terraforming Mars. It is a game that I think, Clayton, you can probably explain better than me because you've played it more. <laughs> yeah, I've played it a lot. Um Terraforming Mars is a game where you play uh, corporations, basically, or foundations who have come to Mars and are going to start bankrolling the operations to uh, terraform it. So it's just a resource management uh, engine building game. You you buy greeneries to put uh, trees and forests on Mars, which increases the oxygen. 
you place oceans, you place city tiles, and you uh, collect uh, numerous other cards to do tons of different things. Um, there's way too much to like for me to do like a summary of the game. I'll put a playthrough of it in the description below. But basically, you try to terraform Mars, you try to build the best civilization on Mars and, and be the most mm -hmm. successful civilization, creating the most resources, having the most money, um, doing all that kind of fun stuff and having the most cities and greeneries under your control. Um, it's an extremely fun game. It's actually my favorite board game. So I'm not doing a lot of justice right now, but if you like games like Settlers of Catan, which are resource management, place your cities, spread out across the map and kind of try to conquer as much of the world as you can. This is that kind of game, except for quite a bit more in-depth and quite a bit more complicated. But once you learn Terraforming Mars, it's definitely one of the most well-balanced and well-put-together games that I've ever played. Like, there's a million ways to win. I've won so many different ways. There's different corporations that give you different abilities, so you can play the game at least like 20 different ways uh, just from a starting standpoint. You can start in completely different places and still win. It's really, really fun. Yeah, and all the mechanics and stuff of the game are just so well ironed out. It's it's just a pretty much a flawless game in terms of how it plays. It's it's one of the most one of the funnest games I've ever played. Yeah. There's not much I can add to it except that, yeah, these this is the kind of games that we were talking about with Settlers of Catan being like the gateway to. Settlers of Catan is a great resource management game, but this is just so much more and provides more ways to win, more ways to learn. Like it's a constantly evolving game where you can, like you never, you're going to play it fresh every time because there's so much to it. And that's one of the best things. You know, replayability is what brings us back to a, the same board game or video game you know you're always looking out for that so definitely yeah because you can play Catan. Catan's really fun but like it's mostly fun because you can when you play it with other people honestly and like yeah. um it's fun because if you bring new people to play it with you or people who you've played it with a bunch, it's just fun to bring the people to it and anyone can play Catan. So you can bring your new friends to play it. Your old veteran board game friends will play it as like an easy player for the night. If you just want to kind of have a chill board game night, but like Deanna and I, Deanna's my fiance for those of you who don't know, um, we have played terraforming Mars like a hundred times. I don't even know how many times. And I still have like, a lot of fun every time and it's such a cool board game every time i play it i'm like exhausted by the end like mentally <laughs> exhausted because it's just like so thought-provoking and uh intricate and well put together so highly recommend terraforming mars that is going to be our game of the week and now travis we need yeah. to get into the uh the reveal of how we actually feel about the Alex Theory series. And since you were the dissenting opinion, you will go first. What did you think? Oh, I, I, I love them. Um, <laughs> I do think the first one is a bit predictable. And I actually, so my Agreed. friend, my friend James White is the one who kind of suggested we read these on the show. Shout out to James. And I did tell him that. And he, he agreed that, like a little bit they are but he he's assured me and i've only read 
four, and he's proven right so far in the first four, that as they get going, they progressively get kind of more, less predictable. The story gets bigger, which I really love because, I mean, with Wheel of Time being probably my favorite series of fantasy I've read thus far, I love... Do you like Wheel of Time? (laughs) You like Game of Thrones? Yeah. (laughs) I love a story that takes its time and pays off in the, like, long run. And here, seeing that kind of start to begin with Alex Virez, I'm, like, very invested. But at the same time, like you say, they do have, like, a kind of like a dime store novel feel to them where I can, like, take a break, read, like, four other books and then come back and pick them up. And, like, I'm still in the story. I can, they're a great travel book. They're pocket-sized. I can read them on the plane. But they have, like, this higher quality fantasy to them. So it's a cool blending of those two aspects of easily digestible but well-crafted. And I can definitely see, like, character choices are going to come back in the future. And I'm really excited for that because that's probably my favorite part of Wheel of Time and of fantasy in general when I, you know, when something comes back as a consequence that happened, like, five books ago. I just get so invested. I love it. Yeah, I mean, that's always great. And it's pretty much just like you said, and just like I use as my argument, but that's mostly what I like about them. And I'll, I do really like that it's a urban fantasy that I can enjoy. It, it's kind of helped me segue into the genre a bit more because um, mm-hmm. there is a lot of good urban fantasy out there. Mm-hmm. I just, yeah, it's just still not my preferred cup of tea. Yeah, I think Alex Harris is good. I love... I like Terry Dresden, and these have kind of a bit of a similar feel in that they're both, like, detective, urban fantasy type. I do think, like, I love Alex Virus as a character a little more because he's not a combat mage. Like, Dresden, mm-hmm. you always know, like, oh, Dresden has some combat trick up his sleeve, and he's going to, like, take a bunch of damage, but he's going to find some way to, you know, fight, and it's going to be this big knockout drag down. Uh, combat at the end virus like is the first protagonist i've read in a while whose main action is just running away (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. and he's like so good at it because he knows exactly what's going to happen in the future so like you always know that virus is going to live but it's like he's not the toughest one in the room all the time and then there's characters that like know how good he is at what he does and i think like cinder is this fire mage who can eviscerate anyone and he's always telling alex like no one should you know take you lightly because you Mm -hmm. you mess people up in your own (laughs) way (laughs) and i i just love that as a character yeah i actually love cinder and i love that conversation that they have where alex is kind of talking i don't remember what alex is talking about but cinder tells him pretty much that he's like yeah you're uh you're a killer all these people who have gone after you are dead. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, so I think that when you go into this room with this guy, you're going to be the one coming out and he won't be around anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I I love that too. Uh, that's one of my favorite things about the series is just like you said, he's not an action hero. And most of the time in urban fantasies, your protagonist is an action hero. Mm-hmm. Like powerful battle mage alex virus is not at all powerful like he he is powerful as a diviner but he is like in a combat situation always going to lose and he knows that 
But he's smarter than like everybody else. But he's smart and he can see the future outcomes, so he knows how to make the right decisions. And and I love uh, in Cursed actually when the one when Martin makes a wish to get his powers and immediately goes insane. That mm-hmm. kind of puts it in perspective because you're like, yeah, it would be pretty crazy to watch yourself like dying over like, and over, all, yeah. over and over all the time because. Alex regularly sees futures where he's getting like brutally murdered <laughs> among yeah. the like uh, kaleidoscope of futures that he sees. So that is a, fas- a fascinating way to look at it. And it puts how powerful he is into perspective. He is a very powerful mage, just with a kind of like different sort of magic. Well, and the last thing that I will say that I really love about this series is the Jaka knows how to write kind of like that trauma recovery stuff, which speaks to me being immersed in this like ministerial field right now of you know part of it is like counseling and you know learning how to have those conversations about traumas with people and i just benedict jaka does a really good job of showing like how impactful that is to virus and how you know it's not pleasant it's not it's also just not like a soundbite in his life it's not like oh, I have a flashback dream every once in a while. It's like this constant thing that he has to deal with. And I appreciate that because I think sometimes past traumas in fiction can be written as that of just like, this is the reason I can't sleep. <laughs> like that's the whole <laughs> mm-hmm. thing. But it's it's much more of like a constant thing that Virus has taken time to learn how to deal with. And like, it's just a part of his life. And I think that's written well and accurately because that kind of is it. Like it never goes away, but you learn how to live with those types of things. And I see that a lot in in the work that I've been doing. Yeah, I agree with that for sure. So overall, we both, we both like the Alex Virus series. Um, Would definitely recommend it. These books are again, easy readers, urban fantasy. Great for if you just need something to kick back with and relax and, and read a book at night. But like Travis said, they're not trash fiction by any means. They're mm-hmm. definitely quality books, well-written books, um, compelling narratives, really um, well-paced as well, which mm-hmm. is something you probably would have mentioned if you were defending them. But they they clip by like you. You pick up one and you're done reading it before you even know it. Mm-hmm. Um, they're very entertaining and, again, easy to jump back into the series. You always kind of know what's going on and very relatable and e- not e- just easy to read in terms of length, but also in terms of, like, again, the language is simple but well-crafted. Mm-hmm. So it's you don't have to, like, look up a word in the dictionary every five minutes. It happens in modern-day London. So, like, you don't have to look. You don't have to n- know, like, all these imaginary countries and stuff like you would in a in a fan an epic fantasy so that's kind of nice as well mm-hmm. um but yeah recommend it we will put some links in the description so that you can find those i'll put a playthrough for terraforming mars and i'll put some information on where you can follow me and travis on social media and on my website and anywhere else you might want to do that we'll also put links to our bring some culture segments so uh yeah that's pretty much going to be a podcast. That's a podcast. Ladies, gentlemen, and everybody else. Until next time, I have been Clay Vermolum. And I have been Travis Vermolum. And we are both still those people.